Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series, or in this case, Batman Beyond. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me, as always, is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? Good, man. I'm a little uh, nervous about uh, Indiana Jones. I'm seeing the oh, reviews yeah. come in, and uh, I don't know, I'm not sure why I'm surprised, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, but yeah, a lot of that going around <laughs> with a lot of these movies. I'm... Uh, yeah. Yep. What's it? Uh, Flash comes out basically on my birthday, so that's yep. a nice uh, uh, nostalgic send back to uh, when the Michael Keaton Batman movies used to come out on my birthday. And so I'm, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm as I've said pr- in previous episodes, I'm I'm looking forward to it, but it's not going mm-hmm. to really affect me if it's if it's terrible. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I can hear this phenomenon that a lot of there's like this conspiracy theory of people who Go on. claim that uh, you know, wokeness is a problem and all that. Mm-hmm. And they think that a lot of the so-called reviews and critics, they're basically being told to lie, to pretend that the movie is good so that they can get free access and go to the parties or something like that. Yeah. I don't know if that's really true or not, but it's pretty silly, especially at the end of the day. You've got Rotten Tomatoes, which has the audience reviews. So if a movie's going to be good or bad, we're all going to find out. Like, I don't think there's any hiding it in the end. Yeah, I I don't know. I think there's 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 always been critics who have their quotes yeah. that get them on the poster, you know, and it's always usually the ones that are over uh, overly praiseworthy. But now yeah. now if you if you stop and you look at the quotes they pull, it's always from like some jackass on Twitter. So it doesn't even matter. I don't even think that stuff yeah. really matters anymore. So, you know, when I get a lot of requests from my peers to, uh, for me to read their books and give them pull quotes or mm-hmm. testimonials that they can put on the cover. I never, ever use that stuff. I never ask anyone for them. Like, I'm not yeah. sure it really freaking matters. Honestly, I think in the book market it, it does, but I don't know. I guess if Stephen King recommends a book, I guess I'm more likely to pick it up, but I just find that that stuff rarely really affects the sale yeah i'm happy to do it for people if they want to not move the needle whatsoever with a name that gives them a good review <laughs> uh i'll reveal how much of a, a dick i am uh i actually <laughs> don't write any what i yeah <laughs> you know usually i wait till the end of the episode mm. uh when someone needs a pull quote i'll say can you just write it yourself and just say i wrote it you know just whatever you want me to say just have me say it i'm really sorry like chris Dabari asked me for one and i was like dude i'm sorry like i know that you think i do this a lot but i actually never do them and i just tell people to make stuff up <laughs> you know excellent good to know <laughs> yeah so, so anytime sorry, anytime you see anything <laughs> written that has his name attached to it you can assume that that is a hundred percent from the heart of Sean. Yep, sure. Well, you I do that. You Karen. do that at shows too, right? You people are like, "Oh, could you sign this?" And you say, "Just whatever you want me to say," and then I'll just sign my name. <laughs> and I actually appreciate when people do that. Uh, like, I, didn't Leslie Nope on Parks and Recs do that before she got something signed? She's like, "I already uh, personalized it for you. You could just sign <laughs> <Yes>. it below." <laughs> I would really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I get. Yeah, I guess it's not all bad. Making people happy. <laughs> Sure. Um, but today we are t- here to talk about two episodes of Batman Beyond. We're here to talk about the Egg Baby and Zeta. And uh, I had never seen, I don't think I'd seen either of these, but I had definitely not seen Zeta. And I was uh, interested to find out some some uh, some stuff about Zeta. This is not the last time Zeta shows up in a number for a number of reasons. So we will take yeah. a quick break and we'll get back into the Egg Baby. Oh. 
All right, The Egg Baby, story by Hillary J. Bader and Alan Burnett, teleplay by Hillary J. Bader, directed by James Tucker. And in this one, Terry is forced to take a computer-simulated baby with him everywhere, even as Batman, in order to make the grade in family studies. Meanwhile, a family of jewel thieves are plying their trade around Neo-Gotham, stealing priceless rubies. Note, Bruce Timm submitted this episode for consideration, and Batman Beyond won the 2001 Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Special Class Animated Program. Yeah, I'm not really sure what special class animated is, but... Sounds great. Sounds very impressive. Do you have to submit stuff to be nominated for an Emmy? I thought the Emmy people just combed through all the things and then decided what was best. No, yeah, I think it's like you have to actively submit it. It works that way with a lot of different things, too. I know, like, the Eisner Awards and the Comic Book Awards work that way. Um, Yeah. Oh, you know what? That's one thing we can talk about in the second (laughs) half is the Eisner Awards and how I think it's it's bullshit. Okay. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) You might not want to co-sign... Uh, everything I say, in case you ever want to write, uh, win one, by the way. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what Outstanding Special Class Animated Program is, but it sounds great. Um, my biggest sure. question about this episode is, what the hell is this egg thing? Is it a computer? Mm-hmm. Is it digital? Yeah. Is it like a like a super advanced Tamagotchi or something? What is What is yeah. this thing? That's what I thought, Tamagotchi. It's kind of creepy and weird. Like you can feed it, and it its face mm-hmm. moves. Yeah. Do you remember in the late '90s they had those sort of owls or some kind of weird Tamagotchi thing that would record you and uh, shipping containers? Like people were worried about um, secrets, like things that when you ship things, there's a lot of stuff that people uh, sailors say that's kind of like not supposed to get out there about where they're <laughs> traveling. No, there's some kind of like bad information that those things were actually accidentally recording a lot of this oh, stuff. Really? So they thought it was some kind of security risk that these things were out there. Yeah, fast forward to now where everything is being recorded. So <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Now the, those same people don't worry about the fact they have a phone in their pocket that records everything they say. Yeah. So what do you think of the egg baby? Uh, I thought it was going to be a little better than it was. Mm-hmm. I know this is uh, this clocks in as people's like a top five. I think does it really, of, or a top ten? Huh. I thought it was. I know it's not Heart of Ice, but I thought it was definitely up there for yeah. most uh, people. What about you? I thought it was fine. Um, I, I liked that they at least tried to uh, have a little bit of uh, synergy with their two stories by having the villain be a mother figure who has these this weird crime family that she's dealing with but like it didn't i don't know i thought it was fun didn't blow me away yeah i forgot well last time you made a good point and you said that there was this trend of a lot of shows that they always had to have this kind of episode in it right you know it's like classic when the man when all the men take home ec class because they want to talk to chicks and then it turns out the class is full of only men stuff like that (laughs) right yeah (laughs) I forgot that this was kind of a '90s trope. Yeah, this there's <clears throat> they've done this thing, this uh, home ec, uh, caring for a baby thing on like uh, hundreds of shows. I think I, there's definitely yeah, <clears throat> there's definitely a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode that they do this. Also, I think with an egg, and it turns out there's some sort of creature in the egg. Obviously, yep. Um, I think it's a Saved by the Bell. I think it does this. Yep, almost definitely. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a bag of sugar too. Yes, uh, that sounds familiar. Well, I think there was one with Fraser, 
No, that was Niles pretend to seeing what it was like to be pregnant by wearing <laughs> a thing. But I think that's sort of, I guess that's related. Yeah, similar. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was fun. Uh, I, I my favorite part of it was probably uh, seeing Bruce's lack of uh, paternal instincts, mm-hmm. where he just thought this yeah. egg was just a pain in the ass and kind of a silly exercise. Yep. <laughs> He does not see the value in being careful when how you're raising children. No, clearly not. If there's anything we know about Bruce, it's that. Yep. <laughs> um, we got some new, or, or some of the uh, uh, surrounding high school students came back. There's uh, Seth Green's character was back. Hmm. Was is Blade a new character? The girl that uh, Terry was teamed up with. I don't remember her. Uh, I forget, man. There's like. Two or three uh, blondes that have really white hair, or whatever, yeah. uh, who look the same to me. I yeah, because there's which is Chelsea, which. but they didn't use Chelsea in this one. Yeah, and they didn't get much. Uh, I, I thought they were going to get more humor out of the pairings, but they didn't do too mm-hmm. much with that. Although the uh, I, I liked uh, Seth Green's character play uh, taking care of the baby while Max did all the yeah. homework for everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Good. Uh, yeah, it's funny. This show did do uh, feminism pretty well, you know, for being uh, late '90s or whatever. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of the the what's her name, Ma Mayhem, and her team of uh, weird sons? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, there's a um, in Cowboy Bebop. There's a set of villains that this reminded me of, um, and I don't know if I like the family does crime together with mom or dad in charge i don't know if that's ever been something that appealed to me how about you i thought it was all right um i was too distracted by andy dick's voice because i was like is oh. that andy dick yeah that's gotta be nobody else sounds like that uh and also what? the i couldn't i couldn't track what that weapon was that he was using it looked like a sandblaster or something yeah what happened with andy dick was there some kind of what didn't scandal? happen with andy dick He's. Uh, I know he's. He's been. He's had a lot of drug problems over the years. Okay. Um, yeah. He, he's still around, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's out there okay. somewhere. Uh. Yeah. The. They. They've done the the family crime thing before, obviously with the the Royal Flush Gang, and uh, probably works a little that, bit better different. there. No. Yeah, that's different. I feel like. I guess it's when it's sort of goofy and yeah. comedic like this i just it's hard to take it seriously yeah and maybe that's uh maybe that's good for this episode because the idea of family and raising children is reflected with the villains as well as the mains you know the, the subplot yeah yeah they it was it was reflected with the with the the, the egg baby of it all but i kind of feel like they missed the opportunity to really kind of draw uh tie them together and have mm-hmm. terry really take anything away from it yeah. Um, this group reminds me a bit of there was a uh, on the '66 Batman show there was a a group, um, Ma Barker had a it w- mm-hmm. was a villain with a bunch of uh, her kids were it was supposed to be like '20s gangster thugs or something like that I can't remember exactly but it was the same kind of yeah. deal where it's the big uh, blustery overbearing mother and then a bunch of all the other ones are just like Ma. What are you talking about? I thought we were gonna ste- we were gonna take down the yeah. bank, you know that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, Futurama does this too. Now that I think, about oh really? 
Yeah, the main villain there is uh, she's a owns a mega corporation called Mom, and she's got her three uh, beta male sons just doing whatever she says. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure you want to talk about the hover El Camino that they drive, though. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. Honestly, it's not too bad. That might be what I draw, actually. And it doesn't even have any wheels, which is like every artist's dream when they draw a car. <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, honestly, I would take, I, I find the body of the car harder to draw than the wheels. Like, I I yeah. don't mind the ellipses and stuff, but there's mm-hmm. something about the shape of most cars that I just, I don't have the uh, uh innate ability to to make those feel right everything that the angles always feel wrong i can't i can never really uh what's the word um the the rounded edges that a lot of them have where they kind of where the line tracking back into the distance turns into the front of the car always throws me off like where the headlights end up for whatever reason it's probably just because i don't draw enough cars but it's just it's something the wheels never really bother me that much it's the body that is the difficult part yeah, I guess yeah, you're right. Well, most artists don't seem to know how to use ellipses correctly. Um, yeah, it's, it's something I could. Sh- I mean, I've shown you, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but when I can, when I have five minutes to, to show an artist, I can quickly describe how. It's like whether it's a wheel or the barrel of a gun. Some artists just don't get how to point the ellipse, which direction, it, you know, which axis goes where. Um, but yeah, you've got a solid handle on that. But yeah, the bodies are weird. Honestly, I've started to actually trace some cars lately. Just oh, really? Because it's just quicker. Like I built a model of the Batmobile, so I don't feel yeah. bad about taking a photo and just. What I do is I just put it up on my computer screen. And I put a piece of paper over it. And I just quickly. Can you uh, wait? You know, can you can you hear that? There's somebody knocking at your door. It's you from the past. He's here to kick your ass. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> But I've drawn cars the old-fashioned way for 17 years. Sure. I feel like, yeah. you know what, I, I know how shapes work. I think it's fine. Yeah. And I do know how to make it so they don't look too stiff. You know, like I know right, how to shake right. up the line work so it doesn't feel too plastic, which I, when, you know, artists use models and stuff, it's even worse when they just, like, take a model and paste it in their background digitally and then just, exp- I don't know, it just doesn't feel cool anymore. You know, like the... Cars feel cool in comics when you feature them in a new way. You have your own spin and your own flavor when you add, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. And uh, yeah. when you trace them too accurately, they just lose, they lose something. Yeah, because there's always, there's always something. When you trace anything, really, I, I've, I've yeah. noticed that where that stuff really stands out is faces, right? And I think yeah. it's the same thing with cars because there's yeah. something about the... Um, the information that you're losing when you mm-hmm. when you trace a car, you trace a face. Where even if you trace every line exactly, you come mm-hmm. away and you look at it and you go, "Well, that doesn't look right." And it's yeah. it's because it's not running through that filter of your brain where you're kind of interpret interpreting it and yeah. uh, putting a little bit of zip on it, or like maybe you're stretching the car out a little bit, or maybe you're making the the windshield yeah. a little bit tighter to the body to give it a little bit more sleekness or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's. Really important too, because that's the benefit the comics has that movies don't. Is if you choose an angle on a car, let's say it's not the best angle. Like some cars don't look great from the back. Yeah. But if when you draw the back, if you can shrink the rear taillights or make the rear wheels bigger or wider, something to make that single shot look better, do it. 
because comics can do that and movies can't. Right. You know, yeah. even animation really can't do that. No one's going to know that you fudged it a bit. Um, you know, like I don't love drawing this El Camino <laughs> that I'm drawing in Zorro, but there's ways to play around with the shapes. It's such a weird looking car and I raised it and, you know, made it like an off-roader, which is better, but ugh, man, I don't know. Well, you, gotta... you know, you are writing that book. You could blow the car up and you don't have to draw it anymore. <laughs> you know, the first uh, title for the book was Zorro El Camino. <laughs> oh, that would've, you would have been stuck with it then if that was the title yeah. of the book. Well, El Camino is Spanish for the way. Or the road, which, oh, okay. which yeah. kind of works for a title too. So sure. that was one set sitting title for a while, and then I came up. Well, you helped me come up with the uh, Day of the Man of the Dead mm-hmm. with the uh, Day of the Dead theme, which is much better. <laughs> now, do you know the history of the El Camino? Because like it's such a unique car that you don't really see much anymore, and it seems like a style that yeah is it. Impract. It seems cool to to have a car with a, a like a flatbed on the back of it, but yeah. apparently it's not something people want. Yeah, I think um, I think it might have originated in Australia. Yeah, and it's called the uh, Ute. Uh, I don't know how to spell that. Y U T E. Maybe I don't know. Um, but they still make them over there, and they're they're hot. And I think people love them because they know they're a little ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, they're a little redneck in all the right ways. And I, I think Australians are very proud that they're a little, a little redneck and gruff, you know. And I think that they exist really well with Latin cultures because you see like in uh, L.A. where you had um, the cultures of Mexicans who would lower these cars and trick them out and all that stuff. They just loved really long cars and lowering them to the ground and scraping. And the El Camino shape just is begging for that. So I think when they named this car the El Camino, they did a really smart marketing for it, honestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if they re-released an El Camino now, I don't... I'd love to see that, but I don't know how well it would do. <laughs> the, uh, the, the whole... They could do an electric one, and the whole bottom of the flatbed, flatbed is where the battery goes. Honestly, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's the only muscle car that has a pickup truck aspect to it. You right, know, I mean, it's yeah. it's two it's a two seater. It's usually a bench, actually. So, you know, three seater, I guess, or how many people you can cram in there. But it's the only V eight muscle car that is you, has utilitary practicality <laughs> at all. You know, would you rather have an El Camino or one of those like <laughs> Toyota? You know, those Toyota, uh, yeah, f- uh, pickup trucks that are like you feel mm-hmm. like you could probably pick it up and tip it over yourself. Those, those yeah. small ones. Yeah. Uh, those are th- those have got a whole call following too. Yeah. Uh, you know. Don't see those much anymore yeah. either. Yeah, those are big in like the seventies and eighties, especially with the gas crunch. Or if you travel overseas or to third world countries, there's companies making those still that you've never heard of. Yeah. Um uh, I think they're called micro trucks. Um but yeah, there's you gotta yeah. Car culture is funny, man. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> the v, the VW bus is apparently coming back. That's so. That's already out in Europe. When oh, is I was it really? over there, and yeah, I saw a few, and I was like, "Oh, that's bus, cool." Yeah. I don't, I don't love it, but I know a few people are just, just yeah, the cult following exists here too. And as soon as they're available, I know. Did uh, you see Fast X? Not yet. I think I, I think I saw somewhere that Charlize Theron drives a DeLorean concept in that movie. Oh, one of the new, one of the, new... one of the two DeLoreans that are being produced. God, yeah. Did we talk about that on this? I don't remember. I don't think so. So yeah. So there, there. Oh, I don't know if I can remember this. DeLorean. You have the actual company that John DeLorean 
had that made the famous car that was used in Back to the Future. Yeah. And then you have his daughter got funding, and she's got her own company called DeLorean. Something, something DeLorean. Yeah. So there might be like a pending lawsuit between these two companies because she's allowed to use her last name, but there is like branding confusion. And both of these companies produced uh, a concept cars that look extremely similar. They look very similar. Like when I first yeah. saw them, I was doing photos side by sides, and it took me a while to realize, oh, wait, the door is different, and that's different. And, that. and quite honestly, the designs are both terrible. It looks nothing <laughs> like the DeLorean. They look like Audis, honestly. They're smooth, yeah. moon-shaped. You know, they're not Roadster at all. They look awful. Um, fucking boring and dead on arrivals, if you ask me. And then, ironically, there's a car called uh, the... Um, Hyundai N sixty N seven four or something like that. Um, just put in like high Hyundai concept car DeLorean, and you'll see this thing. It looks exactly like an updated DeLorean should. It's got the square front. It's got oh the yeah wheels. Oh, You've that seen that? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I just so pulled it's, it up. It's, it's very cool. Yeah, it's a uh, it's not a hybrid or an electric car. It's a hydrogen fuel car. Oh shit! So. There's only one that they've made, but uh, the thing looks fucking awesome. I would probably remove the uh, spoiler on the back because it's a little, <laughs> a little too weird. But yeah. man, what a great looking car! I feel like that is what we were all hoping for yes. in a new DeLorean. That looks very cool. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I the thing with the DeLorean, like, there, is there, is there another car that is so, like, it exists in a singular moment in time? You know, yeah. like the Mustang. Every time they come out with a new Mustang, it's it's very cool because it's like, oh, how does it keep the yeah. classic thing but bring some of the new look into it and all this kind of stuff. The DeLorean mm-hmm. is, is very specific about what people like about the DeLorean. A, yeah. the doors, and B, the fact that it was in Back <laughs> to the Future. That's about it. I don't, think there's, yeah. I don't think the market for DeLoreans is as big as both of these car companies think it might be. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for the movies, no one would care. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it was the car with the gullwing doors, and now that's yeah. not really that unique anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, any hero car from any show, like if it's Knight Rider or the bus from uh, A-Team or the Dukes of Hazard, like, people want that hero car, and that's it just why, sears itself. You're right. That's why the 87 Ford that's Taurus <laughs> was such a success, because that was the Robocop <laughs> car. and <laughs> The most... The, you know what, the easiest on-screen car to own is the RoboCop car. It certainly is, man. You can find plenty of parts for it. <laughs> Most people won't know what the fuck you're driving or care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to slap that OCP label on the side of it and you're good to go. You know, I know we talk about uh, me or you and me getting the license to Highlander and some other things. And I think looking into RoboCop might be worthwhile just so I can invent a correct, a, pro- a proper RoboCop car and not the Ford Taurus. <laughs> what, is pro- or, what does proper mean? Like how- It just has to... <laughs> the thing... Oh, man. You mean, I'm not going to win this argument with you, you mean, so I'm you not going to try. You mean one the actor could actually get in and out of while wearing the suit? Well, that too, but in the comic... I mean, so if you had a new Ford Taurus, well, all right, put, put, put this, yeah, put it this way: mm-hmm. if you were going to have a new RoboCop movie, Clay, and you were going to do it the right way, would you? You probably would feature the '80s Ford Taurus just for an Easter egg, right? But I'm guessing you would want to have an upgraded car for him that would also be a Ford Taurus. Uh, it would depend. I mean, I don't. I mean, part of the fun of him driving that car is the fact that he's so futuristic, and the car is so not. 
Right. And so I think it's difficult to update the car too much without losing yeah. some of that, that uh, contrast, you know? Did he ride a motorcycle in the second or third one? I think he does in the third one. Okay. Kind of makes more sense. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I liked about the remake. Uh, I thought they got a few things right, honestly. Yeah, it's it's not... I would say the first, like... The first act of that movie is pretty solid. Like, up up through the part where he gets turned into RoboCop is is pretty good, but then it kind of just gets kind of boring. I know, and I'm not defending the whole thing, but there's just a handful of things that they did that I thought were pretty cool. Yeah, they even make they make a decision in that movie which makes sense in movie, but doesn't make sense in a larger. Se- so when they this is the, thank you for joining us for RoboCop podcast, but um, <laughs> and back to the future. Well, I think it's I think it's an interesting thing to look at as far as like character design and stuff, right? Because they when they first debut RoboCop, he's got this updated sleeker look of the classic silver and black look right and mm-hmm. then in the movie michael keaton is like nah that's we don't want that we need something more tactical something all black which in the movie makes sense as a as a thing that that this guy would say but uh-huh. as far as the look of the character just completely kills it because yeah. that that updated silver and black design looks really cool and then they yeah. just turn him into you know an unpainted yeah. action figure and it kind of you know yeah. it works it works for what the the uh michael keaton character is trying to get at but it doesn't help the movie yeah that's fair hmm. so anyway uh, batman I thought, beyond I what else i was gonna add to that yeah anyway batman beyond <laughs> let's just go back to that then <laughs> uh, uh yeah so i guess that's what i would draw as the uh the el camino yeah yeah what about you i I kind of think I would enjoy drawing Ma Mayhem and her crew because it's a it's a bunch of different sized guys and you know you, there's uh, I I've been reading Dead Man comics recently and I was reading the Kelly Jones Dead Man Run and there's this one character who's this very large woman and Kelly Jones just goes like so far over the top with with how this woman is um, anatomically yeah. created. That uh, you know, I I can picture him drawing these three characters and how much fun it would be to kind of jump between the 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 very the very large mother character, the very skinny nerdy son, and then the one in the middle who's kind of like a bruiser. Mm. Yeah, it's like that Nintendo game Ice Hockey where you have yes. the choice of three different players: yes. <laughs> fat guy, medium guy, or skinny guy. Yes, yep. Man, I love that <laughs> game. It's such a good game. That holds up, man. It's so fucking hard because you're controlling the goalie. Uh, all the time so yeah you (laughs) You know I I what I had it had been so long since I don't think I had played that since I was a kid yeah and then I played it at your house one time and as we were playing it I kind of figured out the secret to it is you kind of have to you have to watch the screen almost like a magic eye painting because Uh you're controlling every character at the same time yeah and so you kind of have to not focus on any of them so you can move them all as one unit yeah and yeah. it's it's pretty interesting because it feels like it shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah, yeah. It's because it, it definitely was the limited programming, uh, and it was I think one of the first hockey games they put out in Nintendo. So it was a lot on the system at at first. So it's it's amazing. It's as good as it is, even though it's very clunky and unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming to the uh, Nintendo Ice Hockey Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so many spin-offs. Were you, uh, 
what was your team it made? Did you use fat guys, medium guys? Like what was the mix that you picked? Uh, how many can you pick? I can't remember how many. Can you pick three? Is that the deal? There's four. Four? There's four. I think yeah. I usually had... I think, I'm, I think I did like one big guy, one skinny guy, and two middle guys. Yeah, that's what I would do too. Like but every now balanced. and then I would get, I'd get crazy and go <laughs> all fat guys or three fat guys, one skinny guy. or I would make my friend be skinny and I'd be fat. And so I had the muscle, but he had the speed and... You know, yeah. Did you make him? Uh, did, and, and then, if you lost, would you make him put the controller down while you beat him the next time? <laughs> My cousin did that to me years ago when he, when he was when he was very when he was little. He was really really into Nintendo. He had an N sixty four at the time, and yeah. uh, I was over there, and he's like, "Do you want to play?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And I think we were playing Mario Tennis or something, and I think yeah. I beat him twice in a row and he like had a meltdown and made me put the controller on the ground while he beat me the next round and then like started shit talking me afterwards and i was like man that's the way to do it man <laughs> anyway um well is there anything else to say about this episode or you want to move on uh yeah i'm ready to move on what uh, would my you, uh, grade rate would one? be uh i guess i'll go four out of five yeah yeah i think i'm gonna go three you know, it's it's sure. it's just one yeah. of those ones where I, it's tough because I think it's a very well worn setup with the high school. It's a it's a good high school episode. Um, yeah. You know, maybe maybe I'll go four. It's I think it's a it's a good use of that of that trope, and it's it's very fun and I and I like the payoff at the end when Terry ends up having the the most. Uh, uh, healthy baby because it was the most visually stimulated doing stuff yeah. more than just being uh, uh, yeah. eating stuff and sleeping and whatnot. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was expecting a little bit more of a payoff from the blade side of the story where she kept ditching him, mm-hmm. but you know, whatever you only get so much time. Yeah. But uh, yes. hey, before we move, oh, yeah, before we move away from uh, toys, actually there's something I wanted to ask you. Were you good at sharing your toys when you were a kid? I think so. I don't have a ton of memory, but I, I think I was. You strike me as the kind of kid who'd be like, "All right, you can come over and we can play wrestling, but you're, I, we're going to play it my way. Like you're not playing with them correctly, then I don't want to play with you." Like you seem like you might be the a particular type of kid who, if you're playing GI Joe, if, if your friend isn't playing with them correctly, you opt out. No, I don't think so. You're good with sharing your toys. Yeah, I think I was okay. pretty open because I always thought that I, yeah. I remember there was. Especially with action figures and stuff, there's always so much you could do that yeah. it was the the world was kind of wide open. Although I do remember, yeah. I had I had one friend. Um, I never had like the huge collection of one style of toy, and maybe that mm-hmm. was part of it. So like, whenever I was playing with toys, it was like a couple Transformers, a couple GI Joes, a couple He Man guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a friend who had he had the big box of GI Joes, yeah. and he had like the the ships and stuff. Yeah. And I remember any time that we were like, all right, today's the day. G.I. Joe, we're doing it. Uh, yeah. Three hours would go by, and it would just be uh-huh. us giving all of them weapons. And then by the time they all had weapons, we would like go have lunch and then end up doing something else. And we just never got around <laughs> to the actual whatever the conflict right. was going to be. Yeah, it was all set up. Yeah. It's funny. I never mixed my toys. I kept my Joes separate from my... Um, God, He Man, mm-hmm. uh, or whatever you know, Batman action figures. I didn't really have a whole lot of those, but uh, yeah, I don't know why. I just didn't enjoy mixing worlds. I just sort of liked everything to be consistent. For that matter, I didn't like any of the food on my plate touching either. Oh, you're one of those people. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. 
eat one thing first, move on to the next. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so do you sure do you look down? About do me. you look down on other people who mash their food together when they eat it? <laughs> I'm like, I bet you fucking mixed your toys too, <laughs> didn't you, Clay? <laughs> Uh, anyway, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Zeta. Help! In here, somebody help me! Go ahead. No one can hear you. Now let's go over everyone you know at school again, and this time, be more thorough. All right, Zeta, written by Robert Goodman, directed by Dan Reba, and in this one, a holomorphic military android has been reported to have gone rogue, and Terry needs to find him before he kills someone. But has the android really gone rogue, or has he just gained a conscience? This episode leads into the spin-off series, The Zeta Project, which is the thing I did not know. I, I had never seen this episode before. And uh, as I was looking stuff up about this, I saw that there was this whole spin-off series based on this character that they got two seasons out of that I'd never heard of. And yeah. I guess he comes back for one more episode in Batman Beyond, and then they spin him off into his own show. Yeah, I didn't know that either, honestly. I mean, as this was winding down, I was getting ready to go to college. And, you know, when in my dorm, we didn't have TV or anything. So I just sort of lost touch with the Tim universe. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting because I I as I was watching it, I didn't really it didn't strike me as immediately spinoffable. But then I thought about it, I was like, well, yeah. And I, I was reading about what kind of show it was, and it's sort of it's sort of a man on the run show, like The Fugitive or The Incredible Hulk or something. And it's it's yeah. uh, basically Zeta the robot on the run while mm-hmm. the guys with the green sunglasses are trying to chase him down. It's it's. Uh, not to get too into it, but it says um, it was created by Robert Goodman, uh, inspired by Frankenstein, Blade Runner, and the Fugitive. Zeta Project follows, follows the exploits of Zeta and Roe as they attempt to prove that he is genuinely nonviolent, whereas the NSA agents pursuing him believe that the terrorists he was investigating before going rogue have reprogrammed him for some unknown purpose. Uh, a spinoff of Batman Beyond, Goodman initially pitched the show with plans to be darker than its point of origin. But when the pitch went to network, Kids WB was looking for shows that would skew to a younger demographic. And the Zeta Project was ultimately picked up with the thought process, it's a robot and it's a teenage girl. How much fun can that be? Promises were made by the show staff that most of the locations Zeta would encounter would not be as dark, gothic, or or as oppressive feeling as Batman Beyond's Gotham City. Among this and other constraints, Goodman's original vision for the show's messages on dark government misuse of technology and a wide range of social and political issues became more difficult to execute. Yeah, uh, for a kid's show? No shit. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really like that he brought the show in being like, I want this to be darker than Batman. And they were like, well, we were thinking, what about like much lighter than Batman? And that seems like it's a little bit uh, not a great place to start. Um, apparently... Yeah. Uh, despite the lighter tone that they finally did get, it was that Kids WB thought that the show was still too dark, and it was almost canceled completely in, after September 11th due to its plot line involving terrorism and commentary on the NSA. So <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know the Zeta Project was going hard uh, at the NSA yeah. during in the middle of the uh, immediate <laughs> aftermath of 9/11. But 
you find yeah. it in the strangest places, I guess. Out of all the things to spin off on this show, like I don't know, it's got that's that's the best idea they had. I mean, I feel like I don't even know what I would do if you had to do a spin off of this show, like a real one that would really last. Yeah. Who would you pick? Like, I think I would go with Max. I was just going to say Max. Which, yeah. Yeah, her or some other. If, if there's some kind of Robin that they could have introduced before the end or something, I don't know. But going off of robot character, what? Well, I mean, you, you could you could kind of split the difference, and you could have Max and a robot Batman or something, or a robot bat related character. You know, something like that. That's fair. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, what'd you think of this episode? I uh, fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> Like ten minutes, so I missed the ending, and I woke up, and I we had to record this, so I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. That's uh, it wasn't that it wasn't fun, That's but I, I quickly read a, a summary before we were recording too, just to make sure I could <laughs> pretend that I had watched it all. <laughs> and I like that 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 character, the uh, what's it, not the hunter guy, uh, the the guy who's chasing him down. Yeah, yeah. You liked him, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, the guy yeah. with the spear. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, because I like maybe shit. Did I watch the wrong one? Guy with the spear. The Indian guy who is uh, gonna kill Terry. He's not in this episode. Oh shit! Okay, I probably watched something else. Then I apologize. <laughs> I, man, so I didn't even try to watch the right one. It's that the I one. It's the one where it, it starts <laughs> off with a. Uh, yeah. they're at school and they have a teacher who's giving a lecture, but it's very close to, uh, like the textbook or something. And then it turns out the teacher is a robot who can change yeah. forms. Whoops. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since this has happened. <laughs> I swear. This is why I'm not cut out to podcast. <laughs> well, you know, it's the preparation and research that people <laughs> like the most about our show. So, <laughs> Well, let's go into this. And uh, I'm gonna do my best to lie. Now that you all know, I'm gonna be lying for the next ten minutes. Let me see what. Let me see if I can fib my way through this. All okay. Right? So, so basically, what was your favorite part, Clay? Well, so basically, what we've got is we've got this thing called an advanced tactical synthoid. Yes. Who is sent out to? Uh, he's kind of an assassin robot who has gone rogue, but he's yeah. gone rogue because he doesn't want to kill people anymore. Exactly like Blade Runner. That's what I liked about it. Yes, too. pretty. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it is, it is very similar to that. And he, uh, it, it is kind of fun in that respect. What did you think I was talking about when I was going into the show, the spinoff? I was waiting for you to like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like at some point he's going to say something and I'm going to, it's going to click, but it never did. And I started to think, huh, (laughs) what what did I do wrong here? Or maybe all of this happened in the very end when I was asleep. (laughs) Like, one of the characters was revealed to be a robot or something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hold, okay. And I was waiting for you to mention the Indian guy with a spear, uh, who's like the hunter which guy. One, which one did you watch? Uh, I forget, but uh, do you remember the episode where there was this uh, tall black guy, really well animated? Oh, sure, and yeah. And he was, yeah, trying to hunt down all these, like, guys, uh, people like Batman. Yeah. And, so he he basically comes back for an episode, and he is helping Batman, but they're oh. not exactly friends, because he's like... No one is going to kill you, Batman, because I'm going to kill you one day. And oh, the that's, episode like that. that's, you know, uh, that's the next episode. All right. So I think that my HBO Max just went, skipped ahead. Oh, or interesting. Then. Okay. Well, let me show, right. let me send you a picture of what Zeta looks like here. <laughs> that's Zeta. So, yeah. Yeah. 
What do you think of that design? Because exact- um, in in the in the second episode with him and the spinoff show, uh, I guess. I guess they were like, we can't market this to children if he's got this weird uh, boomerang head, and so they gave yeah, him. They gave it him looks a face. Like fallopian tubes. Hmm. <laughs> I actually, I, <laughs> I, I think the design with the weird boomerang head is actually kind of cool. Yeah, there are ways to make that work better. I think the face, though. Yeah. Wait. So this, this is how he looked in the show, and then when they did a spinoff series, they changed them completely. Yeah. They, they so there's made really him like more... nothing, Batman about this guy at all anymore. No, I mean, not the, really. I assume the show took place in Gotham at least. I don't think so. I don't I, I don't know exactly where it took place, but uh so when he comes back, Fuck. he looks different when he comes back for the next episode of Batman, so obviously cuz he's uh, yeah. this picture I'm sending you here, he's in the Batmobile. So that's the design that they use when they spin him off, and I don't think it takes oh. place in uh in Gotham City his spin-off. I don't uh the face version, I don't mind so much. It, it looks a little bit like Scott's disposable that too, yeah. session, yeah. which I'm a fan of. So I don't know. I kind of I don't like the what a weird show. I like I've never the, seen it. <laughs> I like the the boomerang head just because it's it's different. Like they make him a lot more um, human looking with the face, and they mm-hmm. kind of make his body a little bit more. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm yeah. looking for? It looks more like a person, whereas the the robot. Um, the boomerang head is is a little bit more weird, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. I was thinking, yeah, I, th- I was I thinking think... in terms of like action figures, and I was like, I think I would like, I think yeah. I would be down for the boomerang head version of this as an action figure. You you grade high for uh, unique. I think that you like. Yeah, I would say um, that yeah. when they go outside of the box, yeah. I think you're always looking for that angle. And yeah, the way that the original one here is designed with these three lights and these high shoulders and that kind of fallopian tube head uh <laughs> works the second one looks a little bit more like robocop it does it. yeah he's got the same Dumb kind way. of uh the boobs with the lines on it is similar to uh robocop yeah it looks like the thing it looks like something's grabbing his boobs yeah <laughs> in the first one they have the same shapes but it doesn't look like he's being grabbed from behind <laughs> right yeah <laughs> it's kind of sexy anyway <laughs> It actually uh, the, the first one does have more of like a feminine yeah. vibe to it. Yeah, oddly enough, sexier. because it's not really like a there's really no sex applied to what this thing looks like. But except for the shape of the head being a fallopian. That's tube. true. Except for that, yes. <laughs> that's the right word, right? Like the inside of a woman, it looks like a bull, bull, bull shape. Sure. You know? I'm getting that right. Yeah, <laughs> I think I fell asleep in class at sex ed as well. You sound like Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah you better come with us jack i think we have more questions for you down at the station that's why you sign all your books from hell um but yeah you know this was this this episode it's kind of got like an et vibe to it where the misunderstood mm-hmm. robot slash alien if you will is is being hunted yeah. by the government and then max and terry have to yeah. Uh, even even Max is the only one who understands what's going on, and and Terry ends up fighting the robot, and then ultimately they they end up on the same side. I thought it was a pretty good episode. I, it was. This sounds really good, man. It sounds better than the one that I fell asleep. <laughs> if I'm honest, I'm kind of bummed that I watched the wrong one. This sounds pretty good. Well, I mean, if you want to, if you want to, when we record the next episode, if you want to give us our thoughts on, on this before we jump into the next one. <laughs> 
sure. I mean, I know what I would draw is I would draw <laughs> the robot. I think he looks really cool. Yeah, I think uh, I would draw the robot too. Yeah. The, the one thing that they don't do, so the thing that the robot does is it can impersonate people. It has like a holographic thing mm-hmm. that lets him look like other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one thing I was surprised that they don't do is is the, the design feels like it's made for some weird movement. You know, like mm-hmm. crawling like a spider or something or just a little bit different than just walking around. And they yeah. don't really do any of that. Um, so that might be so kind of projects, fun. You said he projects a hologram over himself? Basically, yeah. It's funny. I was going to use that idea on the Joker uh, for the next volume of um, uh, White Knight. Um, oh, sure. I yeah. know. I, I remember years ago making a big stink about when people kill characters, they should just stay dead. And here I am, <laughs> like, continually finding the reasons to keep the Joker around. Um, but uh, I thought, I think I've said before that my goal with the. Um, Batman is to get into the Justice League. And I won't spoil too much here, but I thought, well, what if Joker could sort of help? Um, but would he still be a hologram? Mm-hmm. Um, but what if he had like this, um, you know, a body like this and it projected, uh, he's like, a, you know, a, a biped, you know, plain looking dummy robot, but he could project over himself so he could actually interact with the world physically again, you know? Right, yeah. And, you know, except when you touched him, you would feel like a cold robot, not like a, a human being. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Well, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. It's it's it exists in the universe. It would it would fit. I mean, because Joker's a good guy now. I have this weird opportunity to have him be like an active member of the Justice League and helping serve on intelligence or who knows, you know. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's still an AI, so he could possibly like if they ever fight Cardiac or um, Brainiac, Brainiac. Sorry, yeah. uh, Cardiac's a Marvel character. Uh, <laughs> Joker could you know potentially fight with Brainiac in some weird way, you know, there's uh, some kind of potential there, I guess. Yeah, that's true. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Maybe kind of enjoying if, taking uh, a break. <laughs> maybe if people are reading generation Joker, they should hang on and see what happens to the Joker at the end of the book. Oh yeah, that's right. You guys have tackled that stuff. You and I were talking about what should happen in the end, actually. And I won't talk about it anymore. So I don't want to spoil <laughs> it. <laughs> but one of my ideas was, why don't we have him projected over a robot and you wanted to go in a different direction, which they both work. Plus, we didn't want to have the artists have to redraw anything by that point. Sure, sure, yeah. But yeah, that, that's uh, issue. I just got my comps for issue two, which I think yep. comes out um, not this coming, not the week that this episode comes out, but the following week, I think. Yeah. Which uh, is too bad because I was. We're going to be in uh, Washington D.C. this weekend. And, uh, mm-hmm. so we won't, it's probably, it's probably uncouth to sell the second issue before it comes out. Right. Uh, I would do it. Really? If I were you. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'll bring my copies too. If you want to sell that, oh, well, I guess I'll take them. Whatever. Why don't you bring your comps? I'll bring my <laughs> comps. Um, I don't have any problem with that. Honestly, if I don't care if DC does. Yeah. Well, all right. yeah, I'll throw them, I'll throw them in the bag. Why not? So, if you are in the D.C. area and you want some stuff signed by me, Clay, and some of our friends, and you want to get an exclusive copy of the book that isn't out yet, <laughs> there you go. But, you know, you have to give it a great review because that's the kind of thing we do where we only give good stuff to the people who give us good reviews. So. <laughs> like on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Movie posters, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, what would you draw from this episode? You said it would be the robot. <laughs> yep, Definitely. <laughs> 
Uh, I won't even bother asking you what you'd give it because I'm sure it's five stars. Um, <laughs> I would give this one a four, though. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good. It was. There was yeah. some interesting stuff going on. The, the The tough thing with this show continues to be that it's for every good idea, there's two times as much action. Which for a kids show, sure, whatever. But it's just it feels so far removed from Batman the Animated Series that actually had time to breathe and stuff. Yeah. And this one is a lot of action scene after action scene with a little bit of character stuff. So it's I guess it's a different a different bar we have to kind of. Uh, a different mm-hmm. standard we have to keep them to, but I thought it was a pretty good, pretty good episode, all things considered. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let us know. Let us know what you think when you finally do. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I always wonder if people tune in because they really want our opinion on Batman, or is it just I like the way Sean and Clay talk about things. Mm-hmm comic related and batman episodes is their jumping off point you know so it's not strictly about either one sure maybe that's why this works for people i don't know (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's probably uh you're probably not wrong because i mean if you go by the length of our episodes and how much time we actually spend talking about the episode of the show that we're covering it's uh it's a little one-sided i think but it's fun getting sidetracked because I think oh, yeah. it sparks. Because I never get to talk about these things in other interviews, but on this one, you can we claim that it's still about Batman and it does circle it. But we got a lot of tangents here, which are pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything you wanted to jump into, or do you want, or should we just call it a day? Uh, I was going to talk about the Eisner's. Oh yeah, yeah. It's funny because I think the awards were just announced, and it, it's. You tell me how you feel, Clay, but I always feel like it is the hardest most emotional time for creators is they pretend not to care but they do if you're nominated it's amazing if you're not you wonder well what do they have that i don't so it's sure. a very emotional time in the industry when the awards are announced uh i think you uh, you start seeing a lot of petty jealous behavior and you know you value judgment like you know you're working your ass off in this industry and you know, you're not even getting paid that well, and you, the, you would like to at least be recognized. And then some artist you fucking hate gets nominated as the best <laughs> artist, and you're like, oh, God, why am I even trying? And, you know, inevitably you're complaining to your friends on your thread, and you're all miserating because you hate the same or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like that, I think it's a very emotional time in comics at this time of year when the awards are, are announced. Um, I don't know. Do you feel that way? I mean, I've never been within sniffing distance of an Eisner so it's it's really doesn't affect me that much um, yeah I think it's probably different if you are in contention for that stuff I mean like you said it's it's mm-hmm. it's always nice to be recognized by your your yeah. peers or whatnot or, or even by the fans because I know there's the two yeah. there's the two big ones well there's there's a bunch of them but like the two big ones for comics are uh, the Eisners and the Ringos right oh the Ringo is that big of a deal I, I I always felt like the Ringos was like the second, the second yeah. most well known one behind the Eisners. It used to be the Inkwell right awards. The, the Inkwell, yeah. But I don't know if they changed to the uh, Ringos. I don't know. Yeah. Is that named after Mike Ringo? Yeah, it is. Yeah, Mike Well Ringo. I always do that. Say his name wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I never took that seriously. Um, I don't know if I was ever nominated. I don't ever. When you get nominated for an Eisner, I guess everyone is emailed this thing where you can vote uh, 
who you liked or uh, I don't know. But what's weird to me is like people think that the Eisners, it's this committee of people that the same people on this board every year mm-hmm. and they read every comic and they decide which comics deserve the awards. It's not. It's a rotating group of judges. There's one woman who runs it, Jackie Estrada. She's been in charge of it since the 90s. Um, and they get, you know, a reporter type of person from a website or a magazine. They get editor. They get whatever. They just get like a cast of a changing group of judges every year. Mm-hmm. And they only read the stuff that companies submit. So I remember um, I did uh, Punk Rock Jesus and people were saying, oh, man, it's too bad you didn't get nominated for an Eisner. And I said, I don't think DC even submitted that. And they're like, what do you mean? And I go, well, companies submit things to the Eisners. If your publishers don't submit it, then, you know, it's not going to get an award. Yeah. Most creators didn't know, didn't know that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Now, if you have a book that's wildly successful uh, and the judges want to bring it in, like, you know, uh, if you're a judge, Clay, and you get a list of the books that are submitted and you think there's one that really ought to be there that wasn't there, you can still suggest it. So if you've got a really good knockout book, it could still potentially be uh, nominated, but it's just less likely. Mm. Um, and I don't know how many books uh, publishers are allowed to uh, submit or who else can submit them other than publishers. But, um, you know, for me, I think I stopped caring about the Eisners when it was mostly indie and underground books that no one's even heard of you know um like it just seemed like fan uh what's the publisher called like drawn it quarterly and some other publishers based out of san francisco seemed like they were getting 50 to 70 percent of the awards Mm -hmm. it's like shit that you've never heard of and on one hand i was like well it's nice that those creators are getting uh acknowledged because it's easy to pay attention to the big two because that's where all like you know the high-profile stuff seems to happen. It's nice to shine the spotlight on hardworking people that are on in the indie scene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, it's like this industry wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Marvel and DC <laughs> bringing in eighty percent of the money and supporting all these other publishers uh, on the side. In a way, you know, like if we lost the two pillars, we would all die. So it feels like the Eisners should probably be more friendly to marvel and dc because that's what runs the industry honestly you know whether you like it or not that's just that's just the math so i feel like it's kind of disrespectful that eisner sort of look at they kind of look at comic book superhero stuff as like no i don't know if that's high art this is the eisners we're looking for stuff that's like you know really good (laughs) well i don't i don't know if that's the way it is as much anymore because as as i was uh (laughs) as i was mocking up the fake eisner nomination page that listed uh Batman One Bad Day Condiment King in in the running for uh, uh-huh. best single issue. Uh, there yep. was a lot. I noticed there was a, there was a lot of uh, it, I don't probably more DC stuff than Marvel. I think maybe. Uh, yeah, but I, there was a lot of names I recognized. A lot of books I recognized. Um, Tom. Yeah, maybe it's gotten better. Yeah, Tom Wait, King's on there lately. a bunch. I think James Tinian's on there a bunch. Yeah, um, but I mean, I think it's the same kind of thing. The same kind of discussion they have with with like the Oscars, right? Where it's like, yeah, I, d- yeah. Uh, what's the word? Uh, box office. Uh, box office doesn't necessarily denote quality. So, like, are are right. you going to give yeah. a Best Picture nomination to Transformers Two because it made a billion dollars, but not this other movie that's like objectively yeah. just a better film? You know? Yeah. There. In simply put. It's politicized. 
but every award show is you know sure yeah i mean it's I all, mean, even when uh it's saving private Ryan didn't win but uh shakespeare and love did uh that was complete horseshit and that was the first time harvey weinstein ever figured out a way to game the system and win <laughs> the award you know yeah like i guess it used to have more integrity but now it's just i mean in being a creator and being a possible contender to win these awards and having one to myself i just i don't know i just think the whole thing is silly but there really isn't any criticism I'm pointing out here that you couldn't point out at any award show. Sure, yeah. I mean, award shows in by their nature are subjective, you know. So it's of course it's all. I mean, yeah. I've I've always found the Oscars very fascinating in how they tend to. Uh, uh, I don't know if correct mistakes is the right way to put it, but mm-hmm. there's always yeah. like. Uh, what is it? Uh, Denzel Washington didn't win for Malcolm X, so the next time he was up for Training Day, he wins for Training Training Day, like that kind of thing, where it's like the makeup yeah. Oscar. I always find it does that stuff. Happen. Yeah. I find that stuff very fascinating. Uh, yeah, because it's like someone like Denzel Washington, you could really give it yeah. to him for anything, and it would be a valid win, yeah. no matter how you shake it. But yeah, um, yeah, it's always it's always fascinating. You know, yeah. uh, Paul Newman nominated six times. He only won once, and it was for mm-hmm. I can't remember what he won for, but it was the the one time he didn't even go to the show because he didn't care anymore. Is when he won. Yeah. Huh. So I, uh, when I got nominated, I uh, didn't mention it at all. I didn't say thank you. I didn't put, talk about it on Twitter at the time. Like I just, I don't know. I just felt weird to, I don't know, to self congratulate like that. Um. So I just found myself staying out of the whole discussion and I uh, didn't think I was going to win or get nominated. Or sorry, I was nominated. I didn't think I was going to win. What was it I for? I wasn't planning on... It was for The Wake. The Wake, okay. I got nominated for... Um, I was nominated for Best Cover Artist, Best Artist, and The Wake was nominated for Best Series. Mm-hmm. So I was up for three awards that year. And um, the book hadn't even finished yet. So, like, it got nominated and no one even knew what the ending was supposed to be. And a lot of the ending was very confusing. A lot of people didn't even understand what that was. (laughs) So, I just, that's kind of interesting in and of itself. Yeah. So, I'm like, well, I'm not going to win. There's a lot of great artists there. And I'm just, you know, I wasn't planning on going to San Diego anyway. So, I stayed home. Um, And not only did it upset the Eisners that I didn't talk about it. Like they want people to talk about the wars because it helps promote the show. Right. So if you get nominated and you don't say thank, if you don't mention it at all, if you just go silent like I did, uh, they don't like that. And then the fact that I didn't go at all uh, to the show upset them. And when I won these awards, Scott Snyder had to go up and accept them for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember he, he reminded me of this recently. Uh, he was texting me. He's like, "Dude, you're not here. What's going on?" I'm like, "Oh man, I've never been to the Eisners, honestly." He's like, well, you're going to win, so I'm, I'm going to go up there and get the award for you. What do you want me to say? So I texted him, like, oh, tell them that, you know, the Eisner's overrated and fuck the system and blah, blah, blah. I said some shit that I knew he wasn't going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And he's like, I'm not going to say that. So he goes on stage uh, and he has his phone. He's looking at my response. And my response is just to jokingly say, Sean didn't come because he doesn't agree with the words and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he goes, I'm, all right, Sean told me what to say, everybody, but I'm not going to say it. And everyone starts laughing. And he's like, oh, Sean's very thankful for the award. And we're so proud of the book and blah, 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 blah. To Scott's credit, he said the correct thing, you know, <laughs> the gracious thing. Uh, I wasn't even serious when I texted him what to say, but he thought I was. Um and then after that, I, there was no real fallout, but people asked me why I didn't talk about the Eisners at all, why I didn't go. And I just started being honest with people and saying, I just don't care. I mean, I remember when um, the book uh, Fury, uh, sorry, Punisher Max. No, sorry. There's a book called Fury. Uh, oh, Fury Max? That, thank you. Yeah. Fury Max. Written by Garth Ennis, drawn by Goran Parlov. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing story about um, uh, Cap. Sorry, Captain Fury. Nick Fury. Thank you. Wow, how am I in comics? <laughs> Nick Fury. Did you through all the you, wars? Did you sleep Nick, through that one too? Yeah, <laughs> it covers World War II, mm -hmm. uh, Vietnam, uh, Korea, and it is wild. It's fascinating. And he, he found such a great creative way to talk about all these wars through the lens of Marvel Universe and did, do a really impressive story. Yeah. The art was incredible. Yeah, it's a great book. When that didn't even get fucking nominated, I'm like, I don't care about the Eisners anymore. Like, that, sh that book should have won. It's just crazy to me that... Anyway, so I stopped giving a shit. Um, and I started, you know, Ryan Otley and I were talking on Twitter once openly and saying because he doesn't care about the eisners either he doesn't go to the awards i don't think uh you know he like me thinks the real award in comics is to be able to pay your bills and to have a sustainable career like that's the best thing it doesn't matter what awards say sure and um the people who run the eisners or someone who was running for them that year basically <laughs> sent me a night letter and said you know uh, you're never going to get nominated ever again. You know, just you should. I'm glad you don't like going to. Like they basically said, because I've been talking a lot of shit. They, there's no way. It doesn't matter what book I ever do, how good it is. They're never going to nominate it. So it is political. You know, yeah. it's not about the best book. It's about the best book that was submitted. If you're the right type of creator that toes the line that they want you to 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 toe, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always but, wondered. My 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 question about the Eisners is always, does it? How much weight does it carry outside of creator circles? Oh, zero. Yeah, like is yeah. You know, there are literary awards and and children's book awards and stuff where it's like you put that s sticker on the front of the book, and yeah. it, it it's something that people respond to and and make yeah. sales go up and stuff. Does does the Eisners really affect no. anything in that sense? Like, it does introducing yourself so. as multi-Eisner award-winning artist Sean Murphy really mean anything no. to most people? No. On my Twitter or uh, on my Instagram, I say that I, I'm a New York Times bestseller mm -hmm. because I do think that that matters more with people and it's I'm super proud of that because they don't even have the category anymore, I don't I don't think. Um, so that's an achievement I was happy to take, but the Eisners, I don't, I don't know, it just rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> and when they were telling me that I'm basically never going to get nominated again because of my so-called bad behavior, I just doubled down. I'm like, well, fuck you guys. I don't care. Yeah. You just saved me the trouble of going to one of your shows ever again. Yeah, I, I always, the thing with award shows for me is that I feel like if it's, you, you know, the, the, the Oscars hold weight because they're kind of like 
the the movies that end up getting nominated for Oscars, people end up going out to see, right? Yeah. And the same thing. I don't know how much weight the Grammys hold. I don't, I think the Grammys. I <laughs> one time years ago, I I I was saying, you know what? I think I'm going to try to win a Grammy because it felt like it was the easiest one to win. Like there's so uh-huh. many weird categories. I was like, I feel like I could probably think of something that would get me nominated for a Grammy because they have so many fucking <laughs> weird categories. Yeah. Um, I I think I have the least amount of respect for the Grammys because I remember there's one year where I saw yeah. what they were doing and I was like, oh, this is just. This is just back padding, you know, Um, whether it's Jethro Tull beating out Metallica for best heavy metal album or or whatever. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they I feel like the the best thing about award shows is that they are representative of more so the people who are enjoying the content than it is the people who are making it. Like there's some, you know, you have your, mm-hmm. the Screen Actors Guild Awards and stuff or, or that kind of thing where it's, it's more insular, but it's still, there's still an outside element that is celebratory of these things. But I don't know the the Eisners have always just seemed, I've never really felt like it's for anybody other than the people making the books. And mm-hmm. maybe that's an, that's just as important as anything else but i don't know i feel like there's there needs to be an element of it where it's like this is somehow making uh lending to more enjoyment by more people of the work you know what i mean Mm -hmm. if that makes sense and and i think the people that hand out the awards are self they uh, self-deputized. Mm-hmm. That's the right, right way to say it. But it's not like the movie industry got together and each sent a representative to create a system to find fair ways to award the best movie. It was some guy in his shed or some girl <laughs> who decided, hey, um, why don't we just start an award ceremony? And one of the award ceremonies ends up rising above the others and that's just the one that everyone just recognizes as being the most legit one. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's not created by the committees so so or, i'm not doing a good job of saying it but i think you you guys know what i mean yeah i also <laughs> i also don't know exactly how the eisner's function i think there's a a fan element to it where it's like once things get i don't know if it's if it's you can yeah. help you can vote to get something nominated so it's like if you if you know something has been submitted then you can go in mm-hmm. and in the what the things that get the most votes end up on the ballot yeah. one of those kind of things like a like a major league all-star ballot or something but i i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not totally sure like i if if there's more um consumer and fan involvement and and uh joy taken from it than i think there is then maybe that's a little bit different mm-hmm. but it just it feels it feels very insular and for there only to be like a couple uh mm-hmm award things for comics and they both kind of feel that way so they I, I don't know i mean it's obviously being recognized is always nice but there's only yeah. there's only so much it's not worth it's not worth getting upset over i guess is what my point is yeah i think that people do get very upset about them so uh it, it hurts when you don't get nominated or if someone that you think is phoning it in gets nominated yeah. it's like why am i trying so hard if that idiot's gonna get best award or whatever the people who won that i thought didn't deserve it 
um, the people who won who I thought were won politically, you know. Um, but yeah, so it says here the nominations in each category are generated by a five to six, to a six member jury, then voted on by comic book professionals mm-hmm. and represented at the annual San Diego Comic Con. The jury often consists of at least one comics retailer, one librarian, and one academic researcher, among other comics experts. Okay. So I guess there is a voting aspect to it. Uh, But, yeah, I always thought, like, I wish that the Eisners were more of the People's Choice Awards. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, the Rotten Tomatoes were like, what do people really like in comics? Like, let's just send every comic book reader or comic book shop a ballot and... uh, paying customers can just vote on what they like and let's see what's actually speaking to people you know what i mean yeah but that's sort of what i'm more interested in i do think one of the things that is good about the oscars and hopefully the eisners is that it's not all just top of the line big big Mm -hmm. studio stuff you know because there's there's a lot of movies yeah i i if uh if they hadn't given parasite a chance at the oscars people might not have seen that movie that's a really great movie you know it's that kind of thing yeah, I do appreciate that it brings like the, that's what I do value about the Eisners is it brings attention to other projects that otherwise would have gotten forgotten yeah. or not seen. Like I don't need an Eisner award. People know my shit, my stuff's my career's fine. Like I'm happy to not be included, honestly. It's probably more worthwhile to uh help boost new talent to help those people out, honestly, if, if, if I'm honest, sure, you know. Sure. Um Yeah, I mean what, what annoys me sometimes is like when I get really, uh, I had some dark times where I was like, people don't fucking understand how hard I've had to work to, to get everything I have. Like, if you get me in a bad mood and I'm drunk or whatever, and I don't know, Clay, you might have heard me do this rant before, but mm. it's like, do people Which know time? how hard it, yeah, right? <laughs> how hard it was to get AOL Time Warner to agree to do a book about a cloned Jesus Christ telling people, telling America to go fuck itself. Right. Like, that is really hard to pull a book like Punk Rock Jesus off. I'm not saying that that's a perfect book, but I remember thinking, like, man, I'm so glad I managed to get this weird book off the ground. And then to, like, f- figure out a way to do your own Batman universe. Like, the things that I've struggled to do, and I, I am tooting my own horn here. I apologize. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no award si- system that is capable of acknowledging how fucking hard all that was, you know? Right. And I don't need anyone to give me an award to tell me that I've accomplished these things and I'm just one guy and there's a bunch of artists out there who've done other accomplishments in different strange ways and pulled off the impossible in ways that you know like all the stuff that Alan Moore has done uh, there's no single award that can really encapsulate or appreciate what the hell that guy actually went through you know mm. the only one that actually knows his struggle is him so I mean the idea of having a war I don't know it I'm not really sure what the point of what I'm saying is <laughs> other than I work really fucking hard and there is no award I need because I know how awesome it is to be, to make. I think what you need to do <laughs> okay. is you need to uh, uh, have someone 3D print an award that you've designed and then every morning when you go into your studio, just give yourself the award and then give yourself the acceptance speech. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> Let me get a soapbox so I can stand a little taller <laughs> alone in my, my kingdom of one. Yep. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. Uh, Remember the year when the movie Crash won? Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Like, there are years where the day after, everyone immediately, collectively goes, well, that was bullshit, right? right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all it's all subjective. It's all, 
yeah. zeitgeisty for the, the sometimes the right reasons, sometimes the wrong reasons. You know, a lot. Yeah. Of, there's if you go back and you look at we, we we've done this a few times on on uh, when Wes and I we used yeah. to do a uh, an Oscar season. We would do the highest and lowest rated best pictures. And yes. uh, we would go back and we would occasionally talk about previous winners and stuff. And there's there's so many best picture yeah. winners that are, je- are movies you've never heard of, you know? Yeah. Um, especially after the, the 70s. Year- the 70s is pretty much all bangers, but like the 80s is, mm-hmm. is a dead zone for a lot of those movies. I'm trying to think. Amadeus. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I remember Amadeus won. Um Best picture, I think. That's the only one from the '80s I can think of. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. actually, you know, now that I'm looking at it, it's, it's movies I've heard of. But uh, two years ago, was it Nomadland that won? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, that, yeah Fuck that movie. You can't, Fuck you that can't, movie. You can't base anything on the Oscars from 2021 because that was just like <laughs> post-pandemic. There was like four. Mo- that was the year. Remember, there was like a. A horror movie that cost like five thousand dollars to make that was number one at the box mm-hmm. office for like sixteen weeks. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> it was playing. That at was drive-ins. a weird year. They should have fucking made that the yeah. Yeah, that should have been the, the movie. They honestly, given that the, the Oscar, that would have been great. Or uh, you know, Deadpool two or whatever, whatever came out, yeah. <laughs> it was halfway decent. <laughs> that was that was. I think Nomadland was just a movie about what we were all feeling. Yeah, you know, just these shit sad in buckets. Yeah, these sad desert people with nowhere to go. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, award shows are what you make of them, I suppose. Yeah. But the thing that gets me into fights with other creators is they care a lot about sure. these award shows. Like, uh, I remember Mitch Gerards, who was a friend of mine, uh, he was coming going at me on Twitter because he, you know, really appreciates the Eisners. It means a lot to him, and, you know, you should always be – you know, thankful and how sure. what a joy it is. Like all the right things. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Mitch. Thanks for taking the high road. Like, why don't you come down on the low road where the rest of us live? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think there's. I think it's a two way street where I don't think you need to be mad at someone who doesn't really care about them, and I don't think you need to be mad at someone who does care about them because you know it's everything yeah. affects people. Do. I just don't think it's worth being mad about. Full stop. I guess is where I come down on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I when I've got I there's. Go I would like to know if there are creators the, the the thing that feels different to me when it comes to comics mm-hmm. versus movies is movies you have like the term Oscar bait, right? Where it's like, okay, they're making this movie specifically because yeah. they're angling to get the movie or the actor an Oscar, right? Does that happen in comics? Are there books that are just made purely with the intention of trying to be uh to win an Eisner, I, I don't know. I feel like that's a lot of work for for that. Like it, for something that doesn't quite, it doesn't give you as much bump as say an Oscar would. And so, like if you are if you are a filmmaker who is making something specifically to, with Oscar hopes in mind, then yeah, okay, yeah. I can see you might get shitty about it. But if, yeah. I don't know, it's just I just don't feel like that's the way most people make comics. I could be wrong, but yeah, yeah, I'm not sure either. So, all right, the 80s for Oscars here. We've got Ordinary People. Mm-hmm. Sherry to Fire. Yep. I remember the soundtrack was pretty banging. I don't know if I've uh, actually seen that. Sherry to Fire beat Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, 82. Gandhi, which beat E.T. 
Yep. Um, Tootsie and the verdict. That's the terms th- of. In- that's the thing Go is ahead. like a lot of these movies are like, oh yeah, that's a pretty solid movie. But then you see the movies they beat, and you're like, oh well, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. So yeah, wait till we get to 1994. That's uh, so in '83 we got Terms of Endearment, mm-hmm. which beat uh, The Big Chill, The Dresser, The Right Stuff, and Tender Mercies. Okay, I've not seen any of those I would movies. Say that's probably a good year for for that movie. Yep. Yeah. '84 Amadeus one, mm-hmm. which I think is fair. '85 um, Out of Africa, which beats Color Purple. Kiss of the Spider Woman, which is not what you think it is. <laughs> uh, Witness, it also beat. 86, oh, yeah. Platoon 1. Yep. It beat uh, Children of Lesser God, Hannah and Her Sisters, The Mission, and Room with a View. Interesting. The only one uh, of those that I know of that like The Mission might be a contender, but Platoon seems yeah. to be the, the, the clear choice there. I remember watching The Mission in Spanish class. I think Robert De Niro was in it. Mm-hmm. Is that the same movie? Yep. Cool. Uh, 87, The Last Emperor, which beat Broadcast News, Fatal Attraction, Hope and Glory, and Moonstruck. Oh, man. Broadcast News, such a good movie. Oh, I haven't seen that. Really, really great. Um, all right, 88, Rain Man. Yeah. Beat Accidental Tourist, Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi Burning, yeah. and Working Girl. Yeah. Uh, all right, so 89, Driving Miss Daisy. Ooh, this is a good year. It beat Born on the Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. Dead Poet Society, yeah. Field of Dreams, and My Left Foot. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a good year for movies. Yeah. Uh, all right, that's not even, that's not even counting <laughs> Ghostbusters two and uh, Last Last Crusade. <laughs> not even and UHF. Not and even Batman. special effects. <coughs> oh man, Last Crusade. You're right. That should be there. Uh, 1990, Dances with Wolves. Mm-hmm. Beat Awakenings, Ghost, Godfather Part Three. What? That was nominated. Yeah, it's a Godfather and, movie. It has to be. That's one of those things uh, where it's like, how do you not? You know. What? I mean, it, Goodfellas, right next to right, it. So two yeah. mob movies. One is considered the best. One is considered uh, the, worst. the worst. The <laughs> worst. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and what Scorsese must have gone in thinking, yeah, I'm definitely going to win this. Man, uh, the first the first half of the '90s is, is bangers. The second yeah, half of the 90s, sign- not so much, but... Yeah. So I'm just going to skip to 94, because mm-hmm. that was a contentious year. Forrest Gump won, and it also beat Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption. Oof. Ooh, Oof. man. Yeah. Quiz show and uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. I haven't seen... But yeah, but Forrest Gump... Like, I am a solid Forrest Gump defender. I know that there, it's popular now to dunk on it yeah. and say it's overrated. And, you know, there are good reasons why those people are right, but... Yeah, I'm more of a Shawshank Redemption guy, and Pulp Fiction obviously is. Yeah, <laughs> what do you think about 1994? Uh, f- yeah, you know, it's been a long time since I watched Forrest Gump. I don't know how much I, I remember. Uh, I remember liking it when I was younger. I don't know how much I would like it now. Hmm. Um, it, it, my, my, it just seems so saccharine and. I saw someone. Yeah. I saw someone uh, on Twitter say something like, "Forrest Gump is just boomer fan service" or something like that, and I was like, "Yeah, kind of, a little bit." Yeah, it really is a story about a generation. A, um, about a what? Sorry, a generation. Yeah, it's yeah. a story about a generation. Which you know, and it's I was not th- a bad thing. But so I was, I was trying to think if you had to do Forrest Gump now, if it's about our generation. Mm-hmm. So what would you? How would you tweet the story? And there's some really interesting answers here. One, so he's born in 1980. Yep. 
Instead of running into Elvis and teaching him how to dance, he runs into Michael Jackson, teaches him how to moonwalk. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, he's got some kind of disability. You keep that, of course. Um, he'd still be from the South. His war wouldn't be Vietnam. His war would be um, Desert, Desert Storm. Storm. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, you know, you could go through the scandals of the presidents and, you know, he meets Monica Lewinsky. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Go, going to the White House. And I think the end. He is, accidentally invents the internet. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> There's all kinds of fun, like, stand-in scenes that you could put in from the 90s. Um, you know, grunge music hits. Uh, his, Jenny is, uh, she's not a hippie. She's she's like a goth chick. From Seattle. I think that would be the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then the question is, like, well, I guess what what would be the ending of it would be 9-11, I guess, like, the big event that sort of <laughs> Jenny, Jenny our... dies in 9 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, oh brutal. Boy. Yeah. But it's fun to sort of think about what that movie would look like for our generation. You can talk about it for hours, honestly. It's a good road trip conversation. Yeah. And how many weird CGI dead people they could put into it. Yeah, with the mouths that don't line up yeah. at all. But it was so amazing back then. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I maintain. I think that stuff is a little, a little cringy at this point. But I think that all the Lieutenant Dan stuff is fantastic. The, the special effects yeah. on him are amazing. Uh, yeah, the, removing his legs and stuff. I think there's a lot of great stuff mm-hmm. in it. But uh, I don't know how much I would like yeah. it now. I mean, especially compared to what was it, Shawshank, and what was the other one? Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that's tough, man. That's like yeah. Forrest Gump is is definitely the capital O Oscar movie. But yeah. those are two, you know, yeah. Pulp Fiction. Shawshank didn't really have its day until much later, but Pulp Fiction was right there, yeah. you know. Yeah, the, uh, the director of uh, Shawshank, Frank Darabont, said that 94 was the year of of Gump. Yeah. And, like, nothing was going to fucking come near that movie. Right, right. I mean, even though, yeah, it is a little saccharine, um, but it's such a, a, a tour de force, like, epic in scope and setting and special effect it really has all the things you know Shawshank Redemption was a more limited budget so was Pulp Fiction for that matter Mm. but yeah it's hard like the behemoth of Forrest Gump is I think it deserves the win honestly even if uh, some people don't like it as much yeah I would I would say so yeah so wait 95 Braveheart uh, beat Apollo 13 Mm -hmm. (laughs) Babe Uh, (laughs) the the, the Postman The, the Postman yeah. That was nominated that, for with, Best Picture? With, with Kevin that's, Costner, that's is that be, right? It's a Kevin Costner epic, so of course it needs to be nominated. Uh, wait, so, sorry, wait. Il Postino. It was an Italian oh, movie. Oh, okay. So it wasn't the Kevin okay. Costner one. Okay. Thank God, <laughs> no. Because like, I've seen that movie. That movie sucks. <laughs> it was terrible. I wanted to love it. That was post-Waterworld, uh, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Il Postino. Okay. Well, thank God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man, ninety-six English patient beat Fargo, beat Jerry Maguire. Oof. Secrets and lies, never heard of it. Shine. I mean, that's uh, Fargo. That should have Fargo should have won hands down that year. Yeah, and then ninety-seven was Titanic. Yeah, which is the I'm, Forrest Gump of its time right. <laughs> for many reasons. It beat L.A. Confidential, as good as it gets. Goodwill Hunting. Oh, that Pretty was the big. Uh, at the hue, the big year for Ben Affleck and uh, whatever Damon. the other guy's name. Thank you, yeah. Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, American Beauty. Oh, sorry, Shakespeare in Love. It beat the Thin Lead Line, 
Saving Private Ryan, Life is Beautiful, and Elizabeth. Wow. That's that's a pretty good year, actually. Yeah. And uh, we'll end up with 99. American Beauty beat The Cider House Rules, mm-hmm. The Green Mile, which I wanted to like because sure. it was like Shawshank but better, and it was terrible. Uh, I mean, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the Insider and The Sixth Sense. Oh, the Insider. Oh, Insider's so good. Who's in that? Uh, Russell Crowe and Al Pacino, Michael Mann movie. Okay, that's right. You're crazy, Michael Mann. Yeah, that's a great movie. I, I gotta watch that. And then The Gladiator won 2000, which is the correct answer. <laughs> what are the others in 2000? Uh, Chocolate, yeah. which I, I love. Crouching Tiger, yeah. Aaron Brockovich, and Traffic. That's a decent year, but yeah, yeah. Gladiator is the obvious standout there. Yeah. Um, now, 2001, The Beautiful Mind beat Gosford Park, In the Bedroom, Lord of the Rings, and Moulin Rouge. That's a bit of a scattershot year. Yeah, I don't... Those are all good I don't think movies, Beautiful Mind... I, I mean, Lord of the Rings is the one that wins, I think. I mean... Yeah, they they gave I, it... They it won... Uh, yeah, they, they gave it to it in 2003 for after the third one came out, which is definitely one of those... We yep. should have given it to you for the first one, because the third one's not that great, but... Yeah, exactly. It had three different fucking endings, and I remember. You know, yeah, honestly, yeah. like I when they when that won Best Picture, I thought, okay, you know what, this movie wasn't the best, but mm-hmm. this feels like a hey, you guys pulled off an amazing feat. This was yeah, this was a, a cumulative Oscar, and yeah. honestly, I kind of felt like Robert Downey Jr. should have won an Oscar for playing Tony Stark after Endgame. Yeah. Because like yeah. he played that character, he was killer as that character for like ten yeah. years. You know, I agree. I I and I know I talk about like superhero fatigue uh, recently on another podcast. But what Marvel Studios did is unprecedented. Oh yeah, uh, and they none of them get taken seriously. I know, like the artists out there like to shit all over Marvel movies, but. You think about how you managed to pull like a multi-universe movie sensation over twenty. Like, get me, get the fuck out of yeah. here! It deserves an award, honestly. Like, pick one Marvel movie and give it the Oscar for best film, and then give it to Robert Downey Jr. Honestly, because right, yeah. yeah, even though they're popcorn movies and they're cheesy and they're over the top, like that deserves to be recognized. I mean, I'm looking forward to the day when they can do like a comprehensive dark documentary on what happened with the Marvel universe I, and how man, it came to be. I hope, I hope we see it, but yeah. Disney is notoriously uh, tight with that stuff. So it, we might never see yeah. it, but, but yeah, it's no, I bad, think man. it's for, for <laughs> it's unprecedented and it kind of unfortunately ruined big budget filmmaking uh, because yeah. everybody tried to copy it, but nobody wanted to do the work. And you know, yeah. now we are in franchise. Yeah, it's not over franchise yet. Franchise is a bit, no man's it's, land. Yeah. It's too soon to do the documentary because right. we're dealing with like third act of it basically, yeah. you know? But like I guess it would start with Batman eighty nine, honestly, and then Marvel realizing, hey, we should try to do something and then it taking them thirteen years to really take hold of their own properties and start to put this plan into effect, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I would love to see the interviews and like the failed attempts and Blade, what did that do for them? And right. like, oh, yeah. X Men was a hit. Was that helpful for them, or was it hurt? You know, like, there's you don't need. Uh, I don't know. I guess you do need Disney's cooperation for a lot of it. But yeah, well, I mean, what's his name? Feige was in, was involved all the way back since X Men. He's in X Men. 
He's he's oh. uh, he has a small role as uh, one of the guards that Toad pounces on oh, when, cool. they, when they get to uh, Liberty Island or whatever. But yeah, he huh. was like a he was a, a a producer, a second or third level producer on X Men. So he's been. Yeah, I think he might have been involved with the Spider Man movies as well. I'm not uh, totally sure, but like he's yeah he's been there since since the ball really mm-hmm. started rolling, and he just he just knew the right yeah. time to pick it up. Uh. Do you, we want to go through the rest of the Oscar list? I think we can. I think people are interested if we just push through here. <laughs> we lost everybody at, by, at this point. We may as well. Okay. So 2002, mm-hmm. Chicago won. Yep. It beat Gangs of New York, mm-hmm. The Hours, mm-hmm. uh, Lord of the Rings, Twin t- uh, Two Towers, yep. and The Pianist. That's probably the right call. Yep. Uh, 2003, as you said, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. It beat Lost in Translation. Uh, oh, which yeah. I love, but I think that movie's terrible at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it once, I think, in the theater, and I haven't seen it since. Yeah, it's like watching Endless Summer or some movie where you just kind of got to go with the mood and the flow and not... Sure. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Master and Commander, oh, I, which was a lot... Man, go ahead. I just watched that recently. That movie fucking yeah. rules. So I saw it getting a lot of love on Joe Blow on uh, YouTube, uh, and I didn't realize how accurate that movie was and the sailing and how I, it didn't seem, even though it got nominated for an Oscar, I don't think we really appreciated how fucking no, good that movie was. No, nobody did. I, I, yeah. I did not see it when it came out and I just kind of, yeah. it was an afterthought. And then I can't remember why I watched it. I think, you know what? I might've watched it when I was playing uh black sales, the yeah. uh, Assassin's Creed game. Oh yeah. And I yeah. thought it was great. It's really good. I think maybe it had a marketing problem. Yeah. Um, as great as the movie was, I think maybe they tried to push it as Gladiator on the Water, which is not what that movie is. Yeah, it's it's you a know? weird. It's not. Um, it's a buddy movie in yeah, a way. It's not. A, it's not an outwardly <laughs> facing like popcorn movie, yeah. but like once you get into it, that movie's really good. Yeah. Uh, it also uh, Lord of the Rings also beat Mystic River and Sea Biscuit. Okay. Sure. Uh, Mystic River, uh, Boston guys. What do you and I think about Mystic River? I, don't know, I liked it. I don't it. know if I've ever seen it. It just seemed. Oh, yeah? yeah. That was one of those ones where it was like, this seems too depressing on a level that I can't even relate to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good Boston accents in that movie. I was impressed. Yeah. Even with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, I think he pulled off a good Boston accent, which is, you know, how critical we are about people who can do that yes. accent correctly. <laughs> All right. 2004, Million Dollar Baby. Is that a makeup for Beats. Mystic River, you think? <laughs> it was a gimme to Mr. Eastwood. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, Million Dollar Baby is like half a good movie. And then once once she yeah. breaks her neck, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding. Like, it was another one where I was like, this is so depressing <laughs> on a level that yeah. is not even relatable. <laughs> that movie ends with I... him murdering her, right? <laughs> I, that, that movie ends with a, him smothering her to death, I think. It was a mercy kill, Clay. <laughs> Call it what you want. <laughs> You're still going to jail. Yeah. He ends up like uh, in a diner um, eating pie, and he just, for all credits. <laughs> oh boy. It's where Clint Eastwood was getting away with being an artiste, and we were sort of going along with it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure we're going to run into the other one he got nominated for. Um, when he's a racist old man. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That movie was fun. That's coming up here. Uh, all right. So, 
Million Dollar Baby beats The Aviator. Yep. Finding Neverland. Yeah. Ray. Yeah. And Sideways. Ooh, uh, I'm a massive. I love Sideways. Yeah. Yeah. That's a. Yeah. That's a rough, I know it's not for everybody. That's a rough year. I think The Aviator might be the best out of that. I, list, you know, honestly. that's another one people love, but I did not like that movie. I would. I would be give. I would. Michael Mann. Really? No, that's uh, Scorsese. Oh, well, the producer was Michael Mann. It says. Here. Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. I th- yeah. I think he was. I think he wanted to make that movie for a while. It was just yeah. one of those ones that got away from him, and then Scorsese ended yeah. up doing it. But got it. I, got yeah, it. I, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I need uh, to watch it again. So, 2005, Crash Ugh. beats Brokeback Mountain. Oh boy, Capote, which I didn't care for, oh, I loved and uh, neither did Mike. Neither did Michael Bay. If you remember my story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've told that story fully here on the podcast. Um, anyway, uh, good night and good luck. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. And Munich. Yeah, that's a good year. That's definitely a better year than Crash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2006, Man, The Departed. Munich. Oh, I got to watch that. that the, that's another one where like the first two-thirds of that movie are fucking killer. I heard that that's what got Daniel Craig, James Bond. I, honestly, as soon as I heard him his name I was like oh yeah the guy from Munich that's fucking awesome right yeah he looks like Steve McQueen in that movie it's great yeah uh, 2006 Departed beats Babel yeah Letters from Iwo Jima yeah man Clint Eastwood's on a roll yeah. Little Miss Sunshine yeah and The Queen oof <laughs> that's that's the that's the year for Scorsese to win for not one of his best yeah. movies yeah, it's definitely uh, most a, people, a makeup year for him. Yeah, it's funny. The Departed does not work at all with modern cell phones and stuff. No. It's so funny how that movie. That, just, you know, that was a movie I, I enjoyed. I it, loved it the first but, time I saw it, and then I watched yeah. it a couple years later, and I was like, I don't really think I like this anymore. Something about it just didn't work for me anymore. Didn't Marky Mark win Best Supporting Actor for basically being himself again? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm too lazy to look that up. Um, so, uh, Little Miss Sunshine, I liked, and yeah, I when I like when um, when uh, Steve, um, what's his name, Carell, Carell did that did that movie. I thought, man, this is his Bill Murray moment. This is when he's going to do something that's like perfect, artsy, shows him being not his normal character. Like this is a good move. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, everything uh, Steve Carell takes mostly is awful. I think whoever <laughs> is advising him is terrible. Um, I like the movie where he was like a wrestling coach. Oh yeah, Foxcatcher. Um, but he's got such bad tastes in movies where he's working with like Jennifer uh, Love Hewitt, and I don't know what the fuck he's doing. But or when he hooks up with Tina Fey, like I don't know what he's thinking. But I think he picks terrible movies, and I just want to see him go back to being Michael Scott at this point. <laughs> uh, okay, two thousand seven, No Country for Old Men. That's a good choice. Atonement. I never saw that. Ju- uh, it was harsh. Uh, I didn't get to it either, but it had the best um, uh, scene. It was what was the scene from the uh, north of France when the French were evacuating? Um, Dunkirk. When the British were evacuating. Thank you. Yeah. The scene of Dunkirk was way more accurate than when I heard Chris that. Nolan did I had it. I heard that that, that yeah. the Dunkirk stuff in that movie. That's the Keira Knightley movie, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Juno, Michael Clayton, and oh, this is going to get you, Clay. There will be blood. Oh, oof, that's a coin flip for me with No Country for All yeah. Men. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, 
Yeah, that's tough. They're both that or uh, blood. I think that's it's pretty fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Two thousand eight. Ooh, this might be a crash moment. Slumdog Millionaire. I did not like that movie. Same here. Yeah. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oof. I didn't like that. And I'm a big fan of uh, Fincher. Yeah. Uh, Frost, Nixon, mm-hmm. uh, Milk, and The Reader. Yeah, that's a tough year. Milk was yep, pretty good. Frost, Nixon was pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. Yep. 2009, Hurt Locker. Uh, beats Avatar, The Blind Side, District 9, An Education, Inglorious Bastards, A Serious Man, <laughs> Up, up in the air. A, wow, that's a what lot of a movies. Weird, that must have been the, that's the first year that they expanded it. That's a weird okay, year. Yeah. What a weird year. Yeah, every year after this. So no, normally it's been five movies get nominated so far. Now it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten movies. Okay. All right. I'm going to cap right. this at 2010 because I don't think. <laughs> okay. Good. All right. <laughs> well, I'll just say uh, 2010, the King's Speech one. Yeah. 2011, it was The Artist. Yeah. 2012, Argo. The Artist. Talk about a movie that just doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Uh, Argo, I think I like in my imagination. Yeah, I Um, like Argo. I don't know if it's in retrospect best picture material, but that was a good movie. No, but Django Unchained was this uh, nominated, and I think that survived better. Lincoln, uh, Les Mis survives better than that. Yeah. All right, so 2013, 12 Years a Slave. Mm -hmm. Again, that was Wolf of Wall Street, Captain Phillips, Delta Buyers Club. Uh, okay. 2014, uh, Birdman. Yeah. Wow, I forgot that one. Yeah. Uh, American Sniper. Uh, Another East Nominated. Yeah. Selma, Whiplash. 2015, Spotlight. Yep. Yep, that was good. Uh, oh, Mad Max Fury Road was also that mm, year. That was never going to win. It, yeah, it but, arguably should have, but it was yeah. not going to. <laughs> you know, so this is the interesting question that is going around uh, my friend circles where they're like, pick your top 20 movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Are any of them from the past 20 years? Top 20 the question, movies of all time? Past 20 yeah. years? And the question gets to nostalgia. Like, mm-hmm. do you think that if you were 15 years old and, you know, watching some of these like these movies would stick with you more recently or is there actually like a drop in quality in the last 20 years i don't know that's a question i i I think about from time to time because i don't know if if this stuff does stick with people the way it used to and i part of me thinks that um this stuff has become so disposable that it's it's so you know because like when we were growing up we had 10 videotapes that we watched a thousand times you know Yep. And now it's just you ha- you yeah. you watch half of Spider Verse while you're on your phone, and this movie yeah. that is would would have been in any other generation uh, monumental yeah. and life changing is just like something that you kind of watched and thought was pretty good. But I, 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 I could Mad be Max, giving too little sorry. credit to the kids of today. But yeah, I think there is a nostalgia aspect to it. Um, but Mad Max is one of the Fury Road is one of the top twenty movies for me, yeah. and that is a more recent movie. So it's still possible, I think. To find I would a put new a one few just... in there. I would put yeah, Mad Max. I would probably put There Will Be Blood in there, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's arguably fair. the first Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so in twenty sixteen, Moonlight. Yep, which I have not seen. Uh, 
All right. That's the La La, La, La Land here. Yeah, fences, hidden figures, lion, yeah. Manchester by the it's sea. Nice how yeah, I said so. I was going to cap this at 2010, and you just blew right through that, huh? <laughs> Shape of water. <laughs> we're almost done, man. We're almost caught up to where we are now. 2017. Shape of water. Yep. Uh, that one, I that's still such a curio. I still have not seen that, and I I need yeah. to see it. And it's such a curiosity Dude, to me that that one. <laughs> it is the best uh, Hellboy movie ever, honestly, yeah. <laughs> or Abe Sapien, I should say. Uh, 2018 Green Book. Yeah, <laughs> I like that movie. Uh, 2019 Parasite. Yep. 2020 Nomadland. Mm-hmm. What what, else, Wait a what else was that year? Yeah, I'm gonna. Don't worry. Okay, The Father. Father. Judas and the Black Messiah. Yep. I like that one. Mank, I hated. Yep. Fuck you, Mank. You dis you dis you <laughs> derailed mine hunters. <laughs> uh Miniari. I don't know. Oh, Minari? that was the one with the, the kid from uh Walking Dead in it that was getting a lot of really good press. Okay. Promising Young Women. Yep. Uh Sound of Metal, which was good. Uh, Trial of the Chicago 7. That was pretty good, too. Yeah, I don't, I don't but, think I've seen any of those movies. I saw Promising Young Woman. That was really good, but I don't think I've seen any of the other yeah. ones. Nomadland. <laughs> uh, so, 2021. Coda. What the hell is that? Yeah, 2021 is the year where it's like movies nobody has seen and hasn't watched since. Okay. The only one that I recognize here is Dune. Oh, yeah. Uh, King Richard... And uh, West oh, yeah, Side of Story. That was the year. That was the year where he slapped the, he slapped Chris Rock. Of course. Oh man, that's what really won the award. Right, yeah. <laughs> Nobody remembers anything past that in that show. So everything, everywhere, all at once. I remember you texted us first. Like you were watching it live, and we were like, "What?" Yeah. Um, do you think? Uh, and then we can end this. Do you do you think uh, Will Smith's career is and his wife's is sort of over? From now on, or in, you think it's forever dinged because of that? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be tough. I don't think anyone's ever going to forget it. Yeah. But uh, I mean, he's he's banned from the Oscars for like ten years or something, isn't he? Is that what the deal was? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Who knows? Like I know you it, you want to separate the uh, the actor from his work uh, if you can, but. I have a hard time. Like I just know way too much about Will Smith and yeah. his wife now. Yeah. And I, I, her, I think she's awful too. And I just, you know, I don't like the pretentious movies he keeps doing. I just kind of miss him being an Independence Day and Men in Black and being fun. Well, he was, like, he I don't was, know, he man. was trying to get an Oscar. I mean, that's the thing that's so, like, yeah. worth its own movie almost is that the last fifteen years of his career or so, or maybe whatever, yeah. uh, ever since Ali, which was. I think early two yeah. thousands, he's been doing movies trying to get an Oscar, and the night he finally gets it, it gets completely yeah. overshadowed by the fact that he slapped Chris Rock in the face. <laughs> what did he get the Oscar for? He, for King Richard. Oh, yeah, that, oh, so he that's slapped right. him in the face, and then like ten minutes later, <laughs> accepted the Best Actor award. It's so that fucking weird. A, yeah, there should be a Will Smith movie one day. Oh, I'm sure there will be. Yeah. Played by uh, Michael B. Jordan. I guess he might be too old now, but yeah. Yeah, I would love to... Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, and the other thing, too, is like Will Smith's kids are such fucking trash that I just know way too much about this guy to ever enjoy him again. Like, I actually was able to enjoy Men in Black 3 because I was able to ignore all the crap I knew about mm-hmm. 
Um, and that, but that was before the slap. <laughs> you know, right, now yeah. it's like, fuck that guy. Fuck his wife. Fuck his kids. Yeah, yeah it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He was the, the uh, last. He was often referred to as the last movie star. Like the, the last big movie star who could, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, outside of Tom Cruise, who could yeah, pull a, well. who could pull, well, I mean, last is like, you know, chronologically, who could uh, yeah. sell a movie just based on his name. But I don't know how much that's going to yep. work anymore. But yeah. anyway, this is uh, officially, I think, our longest fun. episode. Yep. And uh, hey, man, Sean it it. didn't even watch one of those <laughs> episodes we talked about. <laughs> Lists are fun. Yeah, so hopefully hopefully this made up for it. But uh, um, uh, thank you guys for listening. When this comes out, as I said, Sean and I are both going to be at AwesomeCon in Washington, D.C. So uh, if you're in the area coming by, say hi and tell us what you think of, of uh, the Oscars Best Pictures winners <laughs> from the last 35 years. Uh, thank you, for, thank you uh, for listening. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, brother. I'll see you soon. Yeah, and we'll be back next time with Plague and April Moon. Let me die!